0: You have to figure out how do I position myself to be someone that can add unique value to this group of people. And then you have to come up with a message and go out and get the business.
1: This is Stay Paid, a sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business.
2: Welcome to another episode of Stay Paid. I'm Joshua Stike along with Luke Acree. And before we bring on our guest today, we'd love it if you take a minute to subscribe to Stay Paid on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you're not already subscribed. And while you're there, drop us a review to let us know how we're doing. We'll read it here on the show. This week's featured review comes from Adam Scrap. Adam says, best marketing podcast in existence, five Ooh. stars. Try to never miss an episode. The energy from Luke and Josh is unparalleled, and the show is always filling me in on the newest trends and topics in the industry. Thank you, Adam, for that review. Speaking of trends and topics in the industry, our guest today is absolutely, we're going to crush this. uh, Dan Lesniak is his name. He is a best selling author real estate broker, developer, trainer, and Ironman athlete. Hyperfast Agent is the coaching service Dan co-founded to teach real estate agents and team leaders how to maximize their clients' value with innovative strategies and technologies. He's the host of the popular Hyperfast Agent podcast, which celebrated over 200,000 downloads this past year. And his career in real estate includes billions of dollars in property deals. Dan, welcome to Stay Paid. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm glad to be on the show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Dan, it's awesome to have you. I got to
0: ask you did
1: Did you run a 50 mile marathon? I did, like Chris? I did
0: that back in 2019. 50 mile. You've done multiple uh, ultra marathons, ultra marathons, right? marathon.
1: Yeah, I thought I saw that on the website. Uh, I got, just before we get into your journey. Like, <laughs> how? What type of mindset do you need to run 50
0: miles? You know, it's you, you can't really like a marathon, even an Ironman, man, you can kind of train for the distances most, mostly. Right. But this, this kind of thing, like i I never went out and ran 50 miles before the race. I think 35 really? was okay. the most I did or yeah, th- probably 30, 35. So, um, yeah, it, it's, you got to do the training and be in reasonably good shape, but you got to prepare your mind, uh, more than anything, so. I, I
1: I have never experienced anything close to that. I've heard from people. It's one of those things where it's like you have breakthroughs along the way. Like there's there's obviously just like life. There's the valleys. Like you're in the most crazy pain. You can't go anymore, but you just keep going, and all of a sudden you get a breakthrough, and you get this like not refreshing, like you're totally fresh, but almost like a refreshing. Um, and then you make it, and then you go to the next valley. Was it the same for you? Did you experience that? that was-
0: Kind of like that, the race I did my my friend Jeff Latham signed up for it, so I decided to do it okay, and it was on the west coast in Washington, lots of mountains, like nine thousand feet of total climb, and the wow. first twelve miles was pretty much uphill and then and then downhill, right, so you know you, you kind of start off you're fresh but you don't realize how steep it is right then then you I was I was good at running downhill so so I was able to kind of crush you know miles 12 through 25 but then you hit the halfway mark and you have to go back up again and <laughs> and that was kind of painful but then coming down was was you know I I went pretty fast coming down again but then the last five six miles where they, they mark it as flat was was really like yeah you know not flat it was kind of up and down and um Luckily, though, I, I thought I had like a mile or, or two miles left. And, you know, the, the GPS watches is only so accurate when you're up in the mountains, sure. and, you know, it's coming in and out. So like I turned some corner and like the finish line was there and, and I thought I had, uh, I thought I still had like a mile left. Wow. Okay, or that's a great feeling. Yeah, that That was was probably the best part of it. (laughs) It's such a good
1: parallel to life when you train in the gym or you train in like, you know, marathons or something like that because business is so much like that and the ups and downs. And you can only train so much to be good at something. You got to get out there and do it. And you're never going to be fully prepared. But if you have the right foundation mindset-wise, I just love the parallels there. Love for you to introduce yourself kind of to our audience. You've been insanely successful. You're the number one team in DC um, in real estate. I think in your first year in real estate you did 22 million in sales which is crazy for first year in in, in real estate. Can you walk people through kind of the 30,000 foot uh view sure. of your journey up to today?
0: Sure. Well, well where we are today, uh, my wife and I have built up the the highest selling team in the DC area. Like you said, we did about 1100 deals last year. We've got about 70 agents. Uh we'll talk later about some of the cool stuff we're doing to help our agents really grow their incomes and build teams within the team. Um, You know, and we're we're running the training company that you mentioned on the introduction. We're also doing developments. We've, we've raised about 15, 16 million in equity from investors. We've got 150 condos that we're building in DC. Um, So that's, that's where we are now, but it it really, I think the, the 50 mile race is a, is a great, parallel. Cause to me, I didn't like start there obviously. And like I did have 22 million or so a little over that in my first year in sales, which was great, but I went through a lot of peaks and valleys and, uh, you know, hard before I got to that point. So, you know, my, my path, uh, to becoming a real estate agent was, 10 years of being in the Navy, doing defense contracting. I got my MBA. I kind of thought, you know, this career, all the things I were doing were lining me up to go get a big strategy consulting job for one of the big three firms, you know, McKinsey, Bain, BCG, that didn't happen. They weren't really hiring in 2010, 2011. That was when the economy was still really, really bad. And um, that was kind of a big kick in the face to go through all of those things in life, not get the job. And I finally asked one of the interviews, I'm like, well, why? you know, why didn't I get the job? Cause it was like after like 50 interviews or whatnot. And he's like, well, we think you'd be good at the consulting part, the technical part, but we don't think you'd be good at the sales part, right? Because mm-hmm. Part of the, the job is selling your services. So if you want to try again, go get a different experience that you haven't done before and, you know, apply back in a year. So I was buying, I think my fourth or fifth house at the time. So I had been buying since I was young, 23, because I had access to the VA loan and all that stuff. And I decided I'll get my real estate license. It'll be something I just kind of do for friends or family. That'll help me a little bit on the sales side. Then I'll reapply to McKinsey. And I, you know, started off by helping a couple friends out, family members. Then I, then I really decided to apply this hyper local strategy. I, I was going to market to the condos in the building I lived in, and my timing was happened to be great. It worked pretty well, and pretty soon I looked up. I had more commission in my pipeline in the next ninety days than I was going to make in my job for the next year. <laughs> so I decided to quit my job, and kind of the rest is history. Uh, two years later, I met Carrie. Uh, we became business partners you know, dated, married, engaged. Now we've got four kids, multiple companies and, you know, help. we're helping other people build wealth through that, real estate. That's, that's amazing.
1: I, I read on your website that you're a broker, I guess at the time, introduced you to Carrie, telling Carrie, she was the number one team at the time saying you were going to give her a run for the money.
0: Is <laughs> yeah, that, is that, that true was, story? That was true. <laughs> so you
1: ended up just marrying her. You're like, ah, yeah. I'm not just going to beat you in real estate. We'll, we'll, we'll join forces. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it was a good good competitive strategy there, just to, just you know, merger and acquisition.
2: <laughs> well, that's awesome. Can you talk a little bit about that idea of that hyperlocal strategy that, you know, you kind of accredit your first year of success to? And then you also talk on your website about this idea of becoming the mayor of your town. Is that sort of connected? And what does that look like from a tactics standpoint?
0: Yeah, that that is connected, although we weren't... We didn't really do that until six years after the fact. But the... The whole hyper local strategy, it, you know. I, sometimes I wish I didn't use the word local because it doesn't have to be geographic. Mm. Um, but you, know, you only have so many resources, especially when you're starting out, right? You've got you know limited amount of time, limited amount of money, and I think too many agents try to do everything. They want to be everything to everybody. That doesn't really work, right? I like the analogy. When it comes to this, uh, if, if you grab a handful of pebbles and you throw it against the side of a glass building, it's not going to do anything, right? Mm-hmm. If you grab a baseball though, and throw it through a small window, you've got a good chance of breaking through. So the whole hyperlocal strategy is all about a framework to find out how do I apply the most force to the smallest amount of area that will give me enough business. So I think most agents try to They struggle because their target market is everyone. And it's hard to make an impact if you're everyone. However, if you pick 200 to a thousand, maybe 2000 homes, you know, you can go in and make a difference, right? You can afford to market to them multiple times a month. You can actually knock on their doors or call them multiple times a month. Like that's, that's an area that you can handle and that you can make, an impact on. So I like to walk people through this strategy. I use this framework I learned in business school called STP stands for segmentation, targeting, and positioning. So you go through this process, you break your market up into segments, you pick the target segment that you want to work with. Right? So it's gotta be people that you'll resonate and like working with. It's gotta be big enough to have enough business in it, uh, but small enough that you can make an impact. And then you have to figure out how do I position myself to be someone that can add unique value to this group of people. And then you have to come up with a message and go out and get the business.
1: I love that. And we've heard that constantly really across a lot of top producers that have come in is this idea of niching down. And I think it's a lesson a lot of times people don't listen to until they get out there with experience and realize, wow, yeah, I'm wasting my money going after everybody. Because I think you have the fear of loss. Is like man, right, if I yeah. just focus on this two thousand neighborhood community or even five hundred home neighborhood community, I'm missing out on so much opportunity, so much business. I love to pick your brain. Okay, how how do I go about the positioning part, right? So if I've chosen, hey, I want to be in this neighborhood because it's four hundred thousand dollar plus homes, it's um you know young families that I resonate with, whatever those criteria are how do I go about the positioning from a, a marketing strategy standpoint and, and business branding standpoint? What are some pieces of advice or tools you would suggest to people
0: to take action on? I think it's all a spin-off of, you know, one of three things. I think you can save people time, you can save them money, and you can save them stress. So, you know, in the beginning, you probably don't have a track record of saving them time and money. So you're gonna have to focus you know, either use your broker stats or team, if you're on team, you know, if you're going to talk about that, otherwise you're gonna have to focus on the stress aspect of it. You know, how are you going to make it easier for them? Do you understand the challenges they're going through? Um, you know, those, those kinds of questions. I think if you're starting out, you know, one, one thing you can really sell people on uh well two things really when you are when you're talking about going up against bigger agents in your area is you know one if they get if they get you they're going to get they're going to get you if they get a bigger agent you know they're going to have to deal with multiple people probably hmm. um and then two you know I, I what i one thing i told people a lot during my first year was you know look if if so and so messes up a deal in this neighborhood guess what he'll still be able to get business because he's done 30 deals here 40 deals whatever the number is right if i mess up one of one deals you know i may never get another shot so who do you think's gonna put more time and and effort you know into making sure that your home sale goes the way you want it to
1: yeah so good Um, people want to feel like they're the one and only that you're giving
0: all your attention to them
1: do you find like um there's a certain amount of touch points for you that you've seen be successful to get your brand recognition with that database the way you want it to be. Like when you look at your monthly touch points, how many are you guys doing on like your database or that or that target community?
0: I mean, when you're starting out and you need the business, I don't think you can do it too much. I, you know, even, even now, I don't think you can do it too much. Like I don't think you can post too much on social media. I don't think you can send too many emails. You know, you can't, you just, I don't think it's possible to overmarket.
1: I actually, I actually agree with you. We have a client, he's in the financial services space. He's down in Annapolis and he does like 6 million out of his business, which in the financial services arena is just crushing it. And, um, he does like 200 plus documented touch points to his target database every Uh, year. Now he documents everything, right? If he has a combo with you, a text message, an email, a birthday card, whatever it is, even the, the drip marketing campaigns. But I always use that example with people because I agree with you. I think it's really hard to do too many touch points. It's really hard or really easy to do too little. And most agents, I think they do too little. They think about like once a quarter being in front of that farm or going out there and touch pointing where it's like, I tell people, man, like there's a guy, Jordan Mott in Silicon Valley that we interviewed he, he's farming to 100,000 people every three weeks mm-hmm. just with a mailer, plus he's getting out there has people door knocking, that type of idea. He's doing. He did like 120 million in sales last year. So it's like getting out there consistency-wise. Where do you find the best return? Like, do you see it's the physical interactions, the phone calls, door knocking, it's the social media, it's the mailers. Um, where's your kind of strategy? Like if I'm coming to you as a new agent, what, what do I focus on? Do I do it all? What what do I do there?
0: Well, they do different things. And certainly a face-to-face interaction or a phone call is more valuable than, you know, an email or social media, right? Because it's, there's two people participating in it. There, there's a back and forth. There's a dialogue. So that's clearly more valuable. There's a limit to how much you can scale that though. So I think when you're starting out, you definitely need to focus more on those one-on-one interactions and then you know, move more into things you can do at scale as you build up your business. So, you know, database, emails, social media, video. I don't think you should ever give up the face-to-face interactions, one-on-one interactions, but you know, you're going to be limited at some point. Correct. only so much time you have. So if I can use social media, podcasts, you know, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok to get in front of thousands of people in the same amount of time, like why wouldn't I do that?
2: Yeah, go uh, ahead. I was just going to ask, are you seeing a lot of results from, obviously organically, your social media is doing fantastic. Are you guys using things like Facebook advertising as well to generate like buyer leads or, or listing leads, seller leads?
0: Yeah, we, we've been doing Facebook advertising for years, but we particularly dived dove into it uh, in, i trying to remember the year. I think it was, it was 2018. And this actually kind of goes back to that question you asked earlier, about the digital mayor or mayor of your town strategy. And that was really something we learned from Gary B. We had a one-on-one interaction with him and, he, you know, he walked through what that strategy looks like. And it's basically producing a lot of content that is for your area. It doesn't necessarily have to be salesy. A lot of times it's just talking about things that the community is interested in. Yeah. Right. Uh, and putting it on video, putting, putting it on social media and, and putting out on, on blogs. So we, we went heavily into that strategy like actually paying to push out our local content of interest. And at the same time we did ads, you know, direct for buyer and seller leads on Facebook and they still work really, really well. Like we've we've got some ads running right now that are generating buyer leads on Facebook for less than five, $6 a lead. Yeah. That's great. That's really, Um, really good. My conversion percentage doesn't have to be
1: that high, yeah, we're when seeing like five, one. Leads, we're right seeing <laughs> like one to two percent conversion. Is that what you're seeing? About one to two percent conversion on Facebook leads for listings and buyers. We're seeing about one, uh, 1 to two percent.
0: Probably on on the front end, but then yeah, but long term it goes up. But yes, right. Which is what most agents don't realize. So I, you know, I think with digital ads, there's kind of two types. You've got the the Facebook ones that we're talking about now. I call those disruptive, right? Because people are going on Facebook to Complain about something, or <laughs> you know, look or look at, at puppies. Yeah, yeah. Talk about Will Smith. Um, <laughs> you know, that's that's why they're going there. And then you shove a, an ad about a home in their face. Like maybe they'll click on it. Maybe they won't. Yeah. Um, but it's disruptive. You're disrupting their activity. Whereas you know the the second type I call intent based, and that would be like your Google PPC. Like if if you buy search terms related to real estate or Zillow or Realtor.com right? People are going on there to look for a home or to sell a home. So when you start running those types of ads, they're going to convert it a higher percentage. They're going to be more short term. Yep. They're going to cost a lot more though. They're going to be Correct. a couple hundred dollars usually. Yeah. Uh, whereas those, those Facebook ones, five, $10, you know, whatever, um, they might not need to buy a home right away we've we've kind of our rule of thumb is we think 10 to 15 percent will buy a home right away of those leads the other 80 percent wow. are long term so you need the uh, systems to follow up to nurture them you know, the what's home. crm system do you guys use we uh, for years we use Infusionsoft, and okay. then in the last year we've switched to follow-up boss
1: yeah follow-up boss i've heard great things that's what my brother's team uses i think it's a really great team crm um, what would you suggest average spend for a new agent be um, on their marketing? And Maybe it's just percentage-wise you think about, but when you're guiding and coaching agents on like, how much money should they be putting into marketing? 5% of their gross, 10%, 15%, what what are you seeing?
0: I think I think the more you do, the more you will grow. I think for large teams, you probably need to be at that 10, 15% level. Uh, I think when you're starting out, the one of the reasons I grew so fast is because I, you know, I kind of started off uh part, part-time I say, but I really, I had two full-time jobs. And so I had a good three, four month runway where anything I closed, I put it all back in the business. So I think if you can, if you're starting off and you're going the solo agent route, um, my recommendation is you put as much as you can, you know, back into the business, back into generating, um, leads. That is such a golden nugget because
1: I, I would agree with you 100%. It's like when you're brand new and just getting started trying to take over an area or a brand, you've got to go all in 20, 30%, 40% if you can afford it, going right back into your marketing to build that brand. And then you get the referrals that start coming out, the repeat business that starts coming out after three years, five years, whatever it is, that will bring that down for
2: you. One of the best ways to dominate your local market is with geographic farming. And we have a one-hour free webinar that tells you how. Join Luke and Josh – hey, that's me – to hear how to choose a lucrative farm. You'll discover the three critical requirements every farming strategy must have and find out why so many fail to plant the seeds for client engagement. To check out our on-demand webinar, go to ReminderMedia.com GeoFarmWebinar and start filling your pipeline with leads and become the best-known agent on your block. That's ReminderMedia.com GeoFarmWebinar take action on this today.
1: So I want to ask you kind of switching gears a little bit because you have 70 plus team members. And one of the great struggles of people building a business is maintaining or really recruiting top talent and retaining top talent. And the conundrum that they face or teams face in real estate is you get a brand new person that doesn't know anything. You bring them into your team. You have all the systems. You set up the leads. You're coaching and training them. They become a superstar. They start closing. All of a sudden, they don't think they need you anymore. And they want a different split because they don't truly understand the value that you're bringing to the table because they've never done it themselves. And you end up losing that top talent team member because they want to go off and try it themselves. How do you fight that battle? How do you retain talent? How do you motivate them?
0: Yeah, we've done a couple of things over the years and it is is a battle. Like there are brokerages out there that will offer like two, three years of no caps. There's ones that pay ridiculous signing bonuses. Um, But you do the math on it and you're like, wow, it's going to take this company three or four years to like, Earn back this signing bonus. I mean, this person could leave before then, but if, you know, if they've never made a profit, they've got to do something. So it is a struggle. We, we've done a couple of things over the years, though. One, we added a um, an SOI kind of split. So for years, we had everyone under the same team, you know, lead split, which was kind of a, a simple system, right? Um, but then we we realized people would people would go somewhere that had like a cap on the commission because they thought, well, if I can just do like, you know, four or five, six deals and be capped, you know, maybe I'll make less, but I, but I don't have to work as much. So um, so we basically match that like we created an SOI cap on the team. So in other words, if Carrie and I generate the lead and on our team, we generate about 80 to 85% of the business, okay. um, you know, th- there's a team split for that. But if the lead comes from the agent's sphere of influence or own efforts, uh, however, that may be, uh, they get a higher split. And then once they've generated, uh, I, th- I think it's like $30,000 in company dollar from that they're, they're, essentially capped. They don't, they don't pay more. Um, so, you know, they've got just as much upside with us as they do any other kind of traditional brokerage that has the cap model. Gotcha. Uh, that was one thing we rolled out. The second thing we did a few years ago, we rolled out a team model. So once you do 30 to 36 deals with us in a year, you know, we, we actually go out and we hire a partner agent for you. And, you know, we typically pay the base salary Mm -hmm. and then we, there's a split on the, um, you know, that the person gets a bonus for every deal, that they help the the team lead do the mini team lead. Um, and, and we split that with the agent. And then, you know, once, once they go from 30 to 50 deals, then they get another person. And then, you know, we keep adding to it. So we've got one mini team now that's got like five people. I think the lead agent, uh the lead agents got a shot at making a million dollars this year. Wow, uh, that is awesome. Uh, um, um we've got uh you know several other people that have three or four person-sized teams. So I think helping them build a team and you know, helping them get from kind of that that solo agent cap, I, I think for most people is like two to three hundred, right? Where you kind of if it's just you, two to three hundred is typically kind of where you 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 cap out at after that. It gets a little too tricky crazy. to run it all. Yeah. You know? Um and even like there there's solo agents who were the company I started off with 10 years ago that were making 250, 300 now. And maybe they're doing a little bit more, but like if they don't hire, they just lead super hectic lives. Like the writing offers on vacation and all sorts of stuff. So this, this team model that we've helped our team members build kind of takes the guesswork out of it because we're really good at recruiting, hiring and training. We can do that part, help them build out the team and, and continue to grow their income while maintaining a good lifestyle. And I think that's, you know, do you do you plus the cap, plus the uh just the fact that we generate so much business for them is is what keeps our agents more loyal, I would say, than most of the industry averages. Yeah, I love that because you're providing them what they can get
1: elsewhere and with the convenience and the systems that you bring to the table. Do you have a set standards that people have to perform at to be on the team, or do you allow the agent who only wants to do 12 deals a year and spend more time with their family to be on the team. And also the agent that wants to do 70 deals a year and work all the time. Like that's a big struggle that I think people have because you have Josh over here who wants to crush it. And Luke over here who wants to just kind of work part time. Do you allow that on your team or no? What do you, what's your advice there?
0: You know, in, in general, we we want people that are fully committed team members um, I don't think we're completely inflexible with that. So it just really depends on the situation and, you know, if someone wants to do less, but they can mentor other agents and contribute in other ways and, but maybe take less team leads. Uh, there's probably situations where we do that. So, you know, we're, we're flexible on that to okay. a degree.
1: Yeah, cuz that's what I found. That was a struggle. Um, you know, I talk about my brother's team a lot on this podcast cuz it's something he's building. He had agents walk out on him. And one of the reasons they walked out is cuz they didn't want the same thing, right? It's not an alignment of goal. They wanted to work less and still make a ton of money, where he's like, "Hey, we're trying to grow this thing. We only want people who are wanting to grow it." And it's like it's a constant battle that I think people face. Um, so I want to ask you a question. You uh, on your website, it says you've been coached by Grant Cardone. Tony Robbins, I respect those people greatly with their business acumen and what they do. What what are some of the top things you learned from the coaching that you got from Tony Robbins and Grant Cardone?
2: Yeah, I, th- I
0: think with, with Tony Robbins, a, a lot of it, he's not specifically in real estate, but he, he brings so much to the table. For for business, personal development, relationships, so he helped me in all of those areas. He also helped me with the idea of look outside of your business, right? Like if you can if you can do what everyone in your business is doing uh, better than them, you know you'll you'll have some success. But if you can go outside of the business, get an idea, and then do that, you don't even really have to be that great at it, and you'll crush it. So that that was. I think a big concept I learned from him and then just the idea of surrounding yourself with people that are at a higher level at you. So you can really see what is possible Uh, in terms of Grant Cardone. I think some of those lessons about getting, you know, getting in the room with, smart people, bright people, successful people, as well as the marketing side. Like that guy is a marketing machine. He he's puts a out genius. More content yep. than anyone. He knows how to do the shock value. And, and he's just like the kind of the antithesis of, you know, there's these people out there, these that say don't overpost. And he just shows you like, that's <laughs> not true. <laughs> like, One of the greatest things, yeah,
1: that he does so well that I've learned from him and this is a great exercise for everybody listening to take advantage of is sit down and write out all the different, like your life and the different things you've experienced. So for me, it would be like, I was, I'm the son of a pastor. I was homeschooled. I went to community college. And then I went to four-year university, started a business, was into music. I have two dogs, right? All these things about me. And then what Grant does so well is he takes those categories of content and he does post based upon categories of content and ties everything back Mm. to what he's trying to push. So like he'll take that he has two dogs, right? And he'll do a post because everybody loves animals and everybody loves puppies. So he hits the animal lovers and he'll talk about, and then he'll tie that back in to real estate or whatever he's doing. And it's such a genius move to take all these areas of your life and just go, okay, how do I use this as a way to start the, the, the story and then tie it back into what I'm trying to promote and do? And I think that's a powerful thing you can do with your content, you know, for social,
0: for mailers, all that stuff. Yeah, he's, he's a genius when it comes to content and just understanding that leverage or, or the, the leverage that you can have if you have attention. Like attention is his currency. Yep hundred percent.
2: Dan, I got to ask you, because we always ask people that uh, come on the podcast, you know, obviously very successful career, successful uh, personal life too, in terms of everything that you've accomplished. What are some of the routines or daily habits that you have or that you've established that you can attribute, you know, your success to? Do you have any of those that you do like every day, those routines or habits?
0: Yeah, I, I I you know I typically get up fairly early, usually sometime between 5 and 6. Um you know, I, I do take time to uh to to think, meditate, read read uh, uh from the Bible, journal, and I'll usually spend an hour of of making uh content. You know, whether it be email, TikToks, videos, hmm. I, I like to do that early, then then get a workout in. And I typically don't have like my first meetings till like 10 a.m. But before then, I've gotten in a good hour of making content, a good hour of sending out like the messaging that I want for the day. And,
2: and then kind of everything else, you know, family time, working out, you Love know, thinking that. time. We, we switched, um, we started doing a little bit more like flexible scheduling. So we switched the times that we have our morning meetings and I found, man, like having that extra time in the morning just lets you get so much more done. So I, I think that that's a powerful tip in and of itself is giving yourself the time yeah. to get a jump start on the day, whether that's getting up early or just making sure that you don't have any meetings until 10 or 11 o'clock. I think it's awesome. Thanks so much for being here, Dan. Before we do close out though, let people know how they can connect with you, learn more about your academy, anything that you want to, you want to promote.
0: Yeah, well, if you want to learn about our real estate team in the DC area, you know, DC, Maryland, Virginia, you can go to kerryshullcareers.com. If you want to learn about our coaching programs, hyperfastagent.com. And if you want to just connect with me on social media, you know, just just search my name on TikTok or Instagram. I, I do answer my DMs on Instagram and you know, we do raise uh if you're interested in investing in real estate, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier on the show, we've got 150 condos in our, our development pipeline. That's, that's something uh, I'm always willing to talk to people. You know, we've got about a hundred investing partners that's or investing amazing. investor partners in those businesses, but, uh, just feel free to, DM me on Instagram really is the best way to, to get in touch. I love awesome. that.
2: Thank you, Dan. Thank you for being here. And thank you all so much for listening. To dive deeper into this episode, get the show notes and those links that Dan mentioned, you can go to staypaidpodcast.com. We'll have them all there in one spot. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, two ways that we ask you to do it. First is a head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop us a five-star review along with a comment. And the best way to show your support is to tell a friend, tell a colleague about this episode. If you want to get hold of me or Luke directly, you can email us at podcast at remindermedia.com, or you can find us on Instagram and on TikTok. We are at Stay Paid Podcast. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike.
1: Guys, and I'm Luke Acree. And I would encourage you for your action item on this podcast is think about your positioning and how you're positioning your message right now to your target audience, right? Do you even know who your target audience is? If you don't, you have to start there. Who are you working best, best with? And remember what Dan said, you can't serve everybody well. You have to narrow down. You have to niche down, find that target audience. But how are you positioning your message? What are you educating them on? How are you saving them time, money? How are you saving them on the stress that they feel? And how are you positioning that? Think through that positioning based upon who your target audience is. Remember, the difference between top producers and mediocre producers in every single industry is top producers take action. Take action on that today.